Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, and we're going to start there this evening. I want to just spend a couple of minutes um, articulating a principle, and we're going to turn to Psalm 92, and there's just a few verses from that that I'd like to read. Psalm 92, and we're going to start at verse 15, sorry, verse 12. It says this, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. And shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. In just those few verses, the word flourish or flourishing appears three times. And it paints a picture for us of what the Christian life should look like. Now, I think if we think of flourishing, we think generally in financial terms, that means you have more than enough. There's no lack. There's, there's, there's production on all kinds of things. But I think if we, if we understand Scripture and what Scripture and what that verse is trying to tell us is that in any situation in life, the righteous, those who are in right standing with God, will flourish. They will in the good times and the bad times, in drought, in lean times, as well as in times of prosperity and when everything is going right. In the midst of whatever situation is going on, the righteous heart, their spirit man will carry them and they will flourish. But that word righteous is an important uh, an important word because this principle doesn't apply to anybody. It applies to those who are in right standing with God. What does that mean? Uh, I don't want to go too deep into this definition, but to be in right standing with God basically means that our will and our lives are aligned with his plans and purposes for us. And that we have we are walking in his standard of life, which we know is impossible for us to do in our own strength. But yet because of Jesus, he has brought us into this place of being in right standing with God. And as believers, there is a sphere that God has created for us to flourish in. It talks about those who are planted in the courts of our God. In other words, those who are born again in the New Testament understanding. God has set out an environment in which we can flourish. And if we understand what that environment is, we can position ourselves in that environment and enjoy lives which flourish in every season. What is that environment? The environment God has created for us to flourish in is simply the will of God as it is revealed to us by the word of God. When we know what the will of God is and we walk in it, we flourish. God's blessing is there, his favor is there, and his grace is there because we are walking in the middle of his will for our lives. How do we know what his will is? Well, his will is revealed to us through his word. And if that's the case, our attitude to this word becomes all the more important. Now, 
when I talk about the will of God being made known to us through the word of God, I have seen, I've seen this in my life, and I've seen this in many people in, in church life, pastoring for a number of years. Generally, when we talk about what the will of God is, that kind of conversation comes up when somebody has reached some kind of crossroads in their life, where something has happened, when they need to make a big decision, perhaps things are not going so well, and they now endeavor to want to know the will of God for me in this situation. And then because of that, now there's this urgency. Now suddenly I need to fast. I need to pray to try and discover what the will of God is in this sense. And what we're really looking for there in truth, if we're honest with ourselves, is simply instruction. We want to be the righteous. We want to be in right standing with the plans that God has for us. But the truth is that those kinds of moments reveal to us that all along the journey up until this point, we actually haven't been all that concerned with getting to know the person of God, with getting to understand the heart behind the word of God. Now we just simply want instruction from God. You see, when we give ourselves to study the word, a lot of it, we're going to read it and it's going to be like stories. This is what happened to, jo to, to Joseph and this is what happened to David. And that may not necessarily be the instruction we need in that moment. But what begins to happen as we give ourselves to the reading of the word, to the studying of the word, is we get to learn what God is like. We get to learn how he thinks and we get to learn the principles by which his kingdom works. And so although I'm reading the story of David, I learn a lot of things about God through the story of David. And what's going to happen is that as as I'm reading, certain things are going to become alive to my heart. Maybe I'm going to be reading uh, a letter that the Apostle Paul has written to the church in Philippi or to the church in Rome. And there's certain things that he articulates there or instructions that he gives. And, and suddenly those are going to be like, wow, I, I, I didn't know God thought about that that way. Or I'd never thought about that. Maybe I'm going to read it and go, I've always been struggling with that. Now I see it in a different light. Here's the point. If this word of God is, is as important as we say it is, we need to be giving ourselves to the study of this word because God makes all kinds of promises that are associated with it. The power and the effectiveness of God's word can be either released in our lives or locked up. All, all, all based on our attitude towards it. If we have the right attitude towards the, the, the word of God, the power of that word will come alive in our hearts. We will learn and grow by it. But if the word is just something that's there, that maybe when I need something, I'll turn to it. it. Even in those moments, the problem is I won't be able to discern the voice of God. I won't be able to discern the leading of God because I haven't learned what his voice sounds like yet. If you're still in the book of Psalms, turn to the beginning of that book, and I'd like you to read with me the first few verses of Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3, says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now, when we read that first verse, it talks about the things that man shouldn't do. And I think so often we see we see that as as as, as sometimes God saying, oh, you mustn't do that and you mustn't do that and you mustn't do that. But really what this what this portion of scripture, when you understand it, is really saying is 
when a man's heart pursues the counsel of the ungodly, in other words, the opinions of this world and this world's way of doing things, and and blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the path of sinners, who's not engaged in a lifestyle that is contrary to God's word, or sits in the seat of the scornful. He is not partaking in the mudslinging game. Blessed is the man whose delight is not in these things, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Delight is a beautiful word. It's a loaded word. It speaks of deriving pleasure, deriving significance from. It speaks about bringing forth joy in the heart. There are certain things in life that are delightful. And the man, the Bible says, who finds in his delight in the, in, in the word of God, this is what he shall be like. Verse 3, a tree planted by the rivers of living water, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You see, when my attitude to the word of God is one of delight, and I begin to expose my heart to this word regularly, consistently, and I begin to learn more and more what God is like. Those times when I do need instruction will begin to come because God will begin to speak. You see, as I begin to give my heart to the word of God, and as I begin to pour it in and sow it into my life regularly and consistently, something truly miraculous begins to happen. It begins to come alive in you. And you'll find that there are some who will nod their heads today because they've experienced this for themselves. They've read parts of the word of God, and it's like reading stories. And they've read, but there comes a time when I've given myself to that discipline for long enough, it begins to come alive in me. You see, folks, there is power in the word of God, real power. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says this. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, like a two-mouthed sword. It will penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals, and reveals the true thoughts and the secret motives of our hearts. There is not one person who can hide their thoughts from God. For nothing that we do remains a secret, and nothing created is concealed, but everything ex is exposed and defenseless before his eyes, to whom we must render account. You see, the power of this word is that it begins to show us what we are truly like in the light of who God truly is. You see, we are very good at deceiving ourselves. The Book of Psalms says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Some of us think very highly of ourselves, far too highly. We are very independent and we can become narcissistic very easily where we value and love our opinions above all others. Other people are deceived into thinking far less of themselves. They don't value their own opinion or their own self-worth. They're insecure because they've also been deceived. But the word of God does something incredible. It shows us what we are truly like and at the same time, it imparts to us the grace that we need to change and to adapt our thinking and adapt our beliefs. You see, the Bible says it's a, the word of God is a two-edged sword. It kills and it brings to life at the same time with one thrust. The one edge slaughters the old man, while the other edge that is cutting in sets the truth in its place. That's why it's two-edged. It brings death and life 
with the same blow, with the same motion. That's incredible. But I want to say to you, that is still just the start. When you and I learn to discern and to cooperate with the will of God as he reveals it to us through, through prayer and through study, through his word, he will begin to instruct us concerning the unique calling and purpose that he has in store for every one of us for our own personal lives. You see, God has a unique purpose for you and for me, for every single created person in this world. As unique as your fingerprint is, so is God's calling upon your life and the mission that he has for you. And when God thinks of your, your mission here on this earth, he has in mind not just what you can do for his kingdom, but he has associated with your mission eternal reward. God is setting you up for blessing, not just in this life, but for all eternity to come. And he's laid out a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And as I've been meditating on this week, on this principle, God's reminded me of uh, a couple of people in the Bible whose responses to the instruction and the revealed will of God for their lives were a little bit different. But I want to spend a bit of time today looking at these two people, looking at their responses to God's will being made open and clear to them. And I want to draw some lessons for that from that for you and I today. And the first person I'd like to look at is Mary. We're going to turn to the book of Luke for this. Luke chapter 1. Starting in verse 30. And again, I'm reading from the New King James. And we see here the, the event of when the angel came to Mary and began to tell her that she was going to bear Jesus, the, the Messiah of the world. And this is what the angel said to her. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and to, of his kingdom. There will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. But with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from him. I want to work through just a few things and highlight a few points from this reading in this portion of scripture. The first one is this. In the opening verse, the angel says to her, Mary, you have found favor with God. And indeed she had. She had been chosen by God. But what does that mean? That really means that God has looked favorably upon her. God has accepted her. And I want to say to you today. However you, you may be feeling or whatever you may be going through right now, if you are a child of God, you are favored of the Lord. You have been born again. 
the favor of God rests upon you. And in the same way the angel said of Mary, you have found favor with God. My dear friend, just the fact that you are born again means that you have found favor with God. And when God looks upon your life, he looks upon you with favor and with pleasure and with joy because you are his child. Now, you may not be called as Mary was to immaculate conception. Whew. But you have a unique and a special role within God's kingdom should you choose to accept it. As I was preparing and that 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 verse, that uh, that phrase, should you choose to accept it came to mind. I was reminded of uh, Mission Impossible movies where they he gets always a tape or somebody gets a message which says your mission, should you choose to accept it, is bloody 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 bloody. And then they they say this whole message and they generally end it off saying that if you get caught or if you are killed, the state will will deny any knowledge of you or any knowledge of your mission. You're all on your own. Well, obviously, God works very differently from that. He still gives you the choice and says, this is the mission I have for you if you choose to accept it. But if you do know that I will be with you at all times. You see, this book of Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. There is a course, a task, a a destiny that God has created, not just God hasn't created the destiny for you. That's the wrong way to think about it. God has created you for the destiny. And he's born, he's, he, you were born at the right time, in the right place, to the right people, even though it may not feel that way. God has a hand in that all. And all of it will be used for your benefit and your blessing to prepare you for the work that God has called you to. Now, the thing that's interesting for me when we read this narrative is that Mary had legitimate questions. She wasn't sort of a wilting, shrinking violet going, oh, OK, whatever you say. She's the, she asked the questions. How is this going to be? This doesn't make sense to me. But the angel's answer was very clear. God's answer was very clear. And it was simply to say this. I've got this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's how it's going to happen. You see, when we ask God generally the question. God will give us, he will burden our hearts with something. He'll, he'll fill us with a desire or he'll give us an instruction from his word. And the first thing we want to know is the hows and the wheres and the whys and the with whos and the whens. And we want to know all the details. And Mary did too. She says, how is this going to happen? But God didn't give her all the details. All he said was the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. In other words, in essence, what he is saying is this, Mary, I want you to trust me. I've got this. I will do what needs to be done. I just need to know if you are willing. Are you willing to accept this mission? And Mary's response was simple. Here I am. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, let what you have said about me, let what you have planned and purposed for my life come to pass. I accept. I will come into right standing and align my heart and my life with your plans for me. Folks, we cannot think for a second that Mary was raised to believe that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, that this is how things were going to work out for her. This caught her in the middle of from, from nowhere. This angel appears and seriously disrupts not just her plans, but Joseph's plans. The important thing to note is that the determining factor here 
was not God's ability, but Mary's willingness. Even in that scripture, the angel said to Mary, with God, all things are possible. God's ability was never the issue. Mary was willing to trust the Lord. She took God at his word. She believed him. She availed herself to him. And we all know the result. Now, let's look at a different scenario. I want you to turn in your Bibles once again, a little further back now, and we're going to look at the book of Exodus, and we're going to look at God's encounter with Moses and what his response was when God began to give him his mission. We're going to turn to Exodus chapter 3, right near the beginning. And you all know the story. Moses at this stage has been wandering the desert for 40 years, uh, fled, for his, fled, fled for his life from uh, because he had had killed an Egyptian soldier. And so now after 40 years in the desert, God appears to Moses in the burning bush. And we pick up from verse 10 in chapter 3. And here is God speaking to Moses. And he says to him, come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt? You see, like Mary, Moses had legitimate questions. He had things that this didn't, this was, that, that weren't settled in his heart yet. And we see him struggling primarily throughout the discourse with his own sense of worthiness and his own sense of ability for this mission that God had called him to. Verse 12, God said to him, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So here, Moses again is saying, all right, um, now, if even if I accept this mission, I know what these people are like. You, you think they're going to believe me? No one's seen me for 40 years. Here I come out of the desert. What reason would they have to believe that, that, that you sent me? And so here, God begins to give him the strategy and tells him what to say. But again, Moses is still not satisfied. We go on a little bit to Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. We see Moses answering or speaking back to God again, saying, but suppose they won't believe me or, or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. You know, you're just lying. And so to satisfy Moses' heart and to allay his fears, God says a few things to him. He says, all right, Moses, tell you what. That staff in your hand, throw it on the ground. And so Moses throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake. And then he says, okay, now pick it up again by the tail. And so Moses grabs it. And as he picks up the staff, it, uh, the snake, it turns into a staff again. And he says, now, Moses, I want you to put your hand into your bosom. So into your tunic. And so Moses puts his hand in and he pulls it out and it comes out white with leprosy. And he says, right, put it back again. And he puts it back inside and he says, take it out. And he comes out fully healed and fully clean of leprosy. And and so here God gave gives him this, the rod and the snake sign. He gives him the leprosy sign. And God says to Moses, and if they still don't believe you with that, take your flask of water, pour it out onto the ground. And when the water hits the ground, it'll turn into blood. I mean, 
Moses, they are going to believe you when you come up with these special miraculous signs. I mean, I've given you plenty here. But again, we see in verse 10, Moses' response. Despite all these signs and the, the, the things that God had given him, Moses says, oh, but God, or oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and I am slow of tongue. Listen, Moses clearly is not sold on this idea. And what I compare this to is my children. Sometimes I'm trying to convince them to do something and they are coming up with every reason under the sun not to cooperate. I mean, the, 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 one of the classic ones is you'll want to talk to them about something on one particular night and they want nothing to do with it. They're too busy doing something else. But when you want them to do something, they're more than willing to have that conversation. Anything else except what you want me to do. So Moses is giving another reason here. I am not eloquent. And he is deeply insecure and he is fearful despite God's assurances. And as I think about that, I want to ask you, can you relate to that? Because I tell you what, I certainly can. I know that God has said to me that wherever I go, he will be with me. I know that God has said to us that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I want you to go. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go and preach the word. Go lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Go preach the good news, and people will believe. Some will stone you, but some will believe. Go, and I will be with you. And yet, I find that in my heart, there are still a number of excuses that exist. And I think if you're honest with yourself, You'll say that that is a struggle that we all have in one way or another. We know what God desires of us. We know what God expects of us. And we know in our heads that he is with us and that his word is true and that he will back it up. But yet in us, there's still the wrestling and the insecurity and the excuses. And so let's see what God's response is to that. The Lord said to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. So, again, God is being very gracious with Moses here. He is encouraging him. He is promising him. You see, what Moses is looking for is the how-tos, and he's looking for all the details that you and I so often look for when we come to God for instruction. And God is doing the same thing to Moses as he did for Mary. And he's giving him the greatest assurance that he could possibly give. That is more powerful than any detail or circumstance. I will be with you in that moment. I will control your tongue. I will put words in your mouth. I will show you what to say. But Moses said in verse 13, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Moses said, God, I'm not your man for this. Verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. God is really frustrated with Moses. Because he knows what he wants to do through Moses, and he knows what Moses is capable of. 
And the interesting thing for me in this reading this portion of scripture is that despite all of Moses fears and insecurity, God never gives up on him or changes his mind concerning his calling. Moses remained God's choice. And I want to say to you today concerning the will of God for your life. Maybe you've been holding back. Maybe you've been fearful and insecure. Maybe you think God has moved on from the mandate or the task that he's given you. But I want to say to you today, God has not given up on you, nor has he changed his mind concerning the calling and the destiny that he put upon your life. No matter what the devil has thrown at you, no matter the, the, the turmoil and the speed bumps and the hard times you're experiencing along the way, God has not given up. He has not left you and he's not changed his mind concerning you. You are still God's choice. Let's move a little bit further on into chapter four, looking from verse 27 and see what takes place. So the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. And so Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke the words which the Lord had promised to Moses. Aaron spoke the words. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. And so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. So we see here that Aaron drew alongside Moses. He spoke on Moses' behalf. He did the, the miraculous signs and wonders on Moses' behalf. And yet God still persevered with Moses. You see, God knew the end from the beginning. God didn't just get in a huff with Moses and walk out and say, well, you know, fine. That's the way you want it. Fine. Stay here in the desert. Couldn't be bothered. God persevered with Moses. And we know that from that time, Moses grew in confidence in God. He grew in wisdom. He became one of the greatest leaders this world has ever seen. Certainly the greatest leader that Israel had ever seen up until that time. And God continued to speak to Moses and he continued to use Moses mightily now we can compare mary and the way she responded to to god's word with moses and the way he responded and we can say that the one had the right attitude towards the word to, towards god's instruction and the other had the wrong attitude and we would be accurate and right and true that would be an accurate evaluation mary had the right attitude moses had the wrong attitude Mary believed God. She availed herself to him and God blessed and favored her abundantly. I, if we think also just of Abraham, what did Abraham do? Abraham simply believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But here's what I want you to remember. There are those among us who, like Moses, are battling with insecurity and doubt. They are among you within your families within your workplaces, within your schools. And they are called by God with a purpose and a destiny from God. But they are in desperate, desperate need of an Aaron. Someone who will listen to them, who will believe in them and who will encourage them. Perhaps someone who will even go with them 
and assist them in what God has called them to do. I'm blown away by the ministry of Aaron here. He drew aside Moses and he became the priest of the nation of Israel. But without him, where would Moses have been? What would have happened to Moses? You know, maybe those of you who identify with what I'm sharing today, who identify with Moses, you know that God has called you. You know you've got a plan. He's got a plan in your life. Maybe you even know what that is, but you haven't done anything about it. You kind of put that on the shelf and said, well, if that's God's will, he'll bring it to pass at some time. Or you, 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 you've been apathetic or you've been afraid or you don't feel worthy. You don't feel that God can use you. You don't feel that you could be that one. I want to say to you today, if that is how you feel it, find your Aaron. If you're unsure about what God has said about you, if you're afraid, just don't do nothing. Find somebody who is. So, for example, in this scenario, God said, Moses, you're struggling with speaking. Is that your big issue? Fine. Your brother speaks well. Let's draw him alongside you. He will help you in that area. There are people that God that, that are strong in the areas that you are weak, but that you are called to. Maybe God is calling you to evangelism. Go and find somebody who is an evangelist, who operates in that ministry, who will encourage you, who will teach you. He will show you, who will walk with you and possibly even make a way for you. You see, Moses shared everything that God had said to him with Aaron. And God has placed you, highly favored one, in a spiritual family. He has given you shepherds who watch over you. And one of the most sobering things for me is the realization that I am responsible to God for those he has put under my care to shepherd. And I'm responsible for their spiritual well-being. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that they're just okay and that they're doing all right and that they are doing that they're in church every Sunday. Their spiritual well-being is tied to the call of God upon their life. You cannot tell me somebody is doing well spiritually while they're not walking in the calling and the destiny that God has given to them. While they are not living lives that are flourishing or seeing the word of God flourish in them and through them. I'm not responsible to perform everybody's calling. But I'm there to help them where necessary, speak into them, to encourage them to draw alongside them, to sometimes walk along with them. And also tonight, I want to address all the errands who are in the room. Those of you who know what you are called to, who have a strong relationship with God, who know, who can discern his voice, who know their purpose who know, and who are walking in it. To you today, I want to say, find a Moses. Because there are people out there who need what you've got. They've got a mighty call and a mighty destiny of God but it's still locked up within them because they in themselves don't know how to break free from their insecurities and their fears. You may just be the errand that somebody else is looking for. Your encouragement and your expertise may change the fate of an entire nation. An entire nation? Yes. You see, it's interesting for me that when I read Hebrews 11, which is the, 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 the hall of fame of the of, of faith of, of those who did mighty works of faith. There's a whole big portion, probably more than on anybody else, on Moses and the things he did by faith. But it says nothing about Aaron. It talks about Moses, it says nothing about Aaron. But the truth is that the book of Hebrews, Hebrews wouldn't even have been written 
were it not for the influence of Aaron upon the life of Moses. Wow, that is awesome. The influence you have on somebody could change literally the course of an entire nation. I want to say to you today, you gain nothing by withholding encouragement from somebody who needs it. You gain nothing from, from withholding assistance from others. And you lose nothing by giving it freely. I went for a run yesterday with a friend. And as we turned one corner, there was a guy on the side of the road who was uh, running in the opposite direction. And as he ran past us, he said, hey, guys, you're looking great. Good work. Keep it up. Keep going. Well done. And we said, sort of said, thank you. And we ran on. And I said to my friend, you know, some people are just born to encourage others. And you know what he said to me? He says, yeah, that was awesome. I really needed that just then. What a small, silly little, what a small little example. But I'll give you another one. You, you obviously know I run. And last year, August, I managed to do a half marathon. Now, the last time I did a half marathon was in my early 20s. Half marathon is 21.1 kilometers. The closest I'd gotten was in the January of 2017 when I ran 19.8 kilometers. But I hadn't done a half marathon since. So August last year, Mark Fuller, a member of our congregation, said that he was getting back into his running. He's wanting to do a slightly longer run. I had been running for a while. I said, well, come, I know you run faster than I do, but I've been, I've been pushing a bit of distance. I've been done a few 12 Ks, a few 15. Let's just go for a nice run. 10, maybe 15 Ks is where we kind of pegged the mark. And as we ran, we just ran together. And we got to, you know, probably about 15 Ks. And I said, well, if we do, if we add this little loop here, we can add another three Ks. You want to do it? He said, yeah. And we sort of did that. And he said, well, should we do a couple more? And we kept adding as we were going and encouraging one another until we, we, we got to the point where we said, listen, we're on 18. Should we go for the half? Because, you know, we're close now. Let's do it. And he said, yeah, let's do it. It's hurting a little now, but let's do it. And he encouraged me and I encouraged him. And together, we did a half marathon when neither of us expected or thought that we were capable or able to do a half marathon at the time. The point is this. A brother came alongside and we did something we didn't know we could do. Folks, the people who have been most influential in my life, thinking of teachers, youth leaders, pastors, are the people who believed in me, even when I didn't believe in myself. Now, you could say, yeah, or I could say I come out of a good home. I have parents who have always believed in me, who have always thought the highest of me and have always been very proud of me. But in some ways, their opinion doesn't count because they're my parents and it's their job to be proud of me. And they should think highly of me because I'm their child, right? It's the other people that come along and they see something in you. And they're bold enough and secure enough in themselves to encourage you to say, hey, you can do it. I believe in you. You've got this. I want to say categorically today that without them, I wouldn't be who I am and I would not be doing what I am doing. I am ever grateful to God for them because through them, he has guided me. He has encouraged me to discover my calling and my purpose. And I want to say to you, that is an ever developing story. I haven't arrived and there's much more that God still has in store for me. Even in the preaching of this message, I want you to know that I'm preaching to myself because there's something in my heart and I am believing God for this year to say, God, your word is so powerful. Your spirit is so powerful and prayer is so powerful. 
but I'm not satisfied with the results of it that I see in my life. And so I'm drawing near to those around me and I'm looking for errands who are going to encourage me as I pursue God. And as I pursue God, I am looking out for Moseses who have callings and destinies that I can recognize and see. And I'm speaking and I'm calling those out and I'm encouraging them say, go after God, go after that thing. God is faithful. Has he not promised? Will he not be with you? In closing, I want to say this to you before we read one more scripture. Doing nothing with the words and the instructions of God in your life should never be an option. If, God, if you know God has spoken certain things onto your heart, doing what, nothing with them is not an option. Don't be like Moses who makes 101 excuses. Maybe you've even convinced yourself that because you've made so many excuses or you've postponed or you delayed by so long that God has actually forgotten and he's moved on and your boat has sailed. No, I'm telling you today, God has not forgotten. God has not changed his mind. What he's waiting for you is simply to come into righteousness, is to come into believing him, trusting his word and saying, be it to me according to your word. As hard as it may be to believe, as hard as it may be to apply, we should embrace the attitude of Mary or we need to find the help that we need to do so. You see, if you're not in that place yet, be honest with yourself, but don't do nothing. Be like Moses and find an Aaron and say, this is what I believe God has said to me. This is what I believe God has laid on my heart, but I don't know where to start. I don't know how to go about it. I don't know what to do with this information. It's like <laughs> it's like the dream Pastor Andreas had when I was became interested in Helen. And in the dream, God said to Pastor Andreas, Michael wants to court Helen, but he doesn't know how to go about it. And he doesn't even know who to ask. And God intervened on my behalf and Pastor Andreas called me out for coffee and said, God said to me, you want to court my daughter, but you don't know what to do. Is that true? A little awkward, don't you think? But yes, it was true. And God made a way for me there. There's a longer story, which I don't have time to go into tonight. It's a beautiful story of how God made a way for me. And it blesses my heart. I get emotional every time. But the point is this. I want us to, I want you to understand today that God has a wonderful calling for you. A rich calling with a rich inheritance. Don't do nothing with it. And if you don't know what it is, Make it your business to get into the word and simply begin to read. Don't look for specific instructions because you're going to be led down a garden path and you're going to be deceived. Just learn to get to know God. As you know him, he'll begin to guide you. As you learn about him, you will learn about what in your own life sits right and what doesn't sit right anymore. Certain things will start making you feel uncomfortable while other things will give you peace. And as you journey, somebody might say something prophetically. Maybe a word of God will pop out for you. So I'll give you my example. One night, Pastor Andreas was talking about Elijah and Elisha. And God said to me, I want you to be Elisha to that man. There was a moment where that word became alive in my heart. Or like Pastor Andreas' testimony, which you've heard many times, where God said to him, I want you to go and spread this word. And he said, how can I? He says, I'm going to go with you. You go, you preach the word to your people. I'm sending you. And it, it was a moment in his life that galvanized the course of his destiny. But that came through consistent study. And then finally, allowing that word 
to become truth and life to your heart. The final scripture I want us to read tonight comes from the book of 2 Samuel. And I want us to draw some inspiration from David, who had a very similar response to Mary. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a covenant with David. And in his promise and in this covenant, God says that he will bless David and he will establish his household. And I want you to listen to David's response, because this should be your response and my response to every promise that God has made us and every word that he speaks over our lives. This is what David says. And now, O Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. And you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. You know, David didn't come to God with a whole bunch of ideas and ask him to bless them. In fact, when David did come to God with his plans, God said, you're not going to build that temple, my boy. That's not my plan for you. But here's when God spoke over David's life, David had the sense to say, God, if that's what you're saying, I will believe it. And I pray, let it be so in my life. And so with that in mind, I want us to close in prayer this morning, this evening, wherever it is that we may be. And I want to just where you are, close your eyes with me, if you would. And just be aware of God's presence with you right now. Our Father God, we come before you today with hearts, Lord God, that are, are burning. Our hearts are burning, God, because we know that we are your beloved children and that you love us deeply and that we have found favor in your sight. Our hearts are burning because we know that we are not made by accident, but we are made on purpose for a purpose. And Father, our hearts are burning because we know that where we are, perhaps we are not walking in the fullness of that purpose. And Lord, where that is the case tonight, we want to ask you to bring to remembrance the words and instructions that you have spoken over our lives, the promises that you have given to us. And we want to align and position our hearts with your heart in the same way that Mary did and say, Lord, here we are. Be it to us according to your word. And maybe where you are right now, you just want to repeat those words after me as you're praying before the Lord, saying, Lord, here I am. Be it to me according to your word. And Father, tonight, as those prayers are ringing out into the heavenlies, I want to pray over those who, despite that prayer, have sincere and legitimate questions rolling around within their hearts. Those who may still be struggling with self-deception, those who may still be struggling with, with fears and anxieties, who may feel that they're not worthy or they're not ready. My Lord God, I pray for them tonight. I pray that, number one, you would give them a faith that is able to trust you beyond the limitations that they see in themselves. I pray also, Father God, that you would give them the boldness and the courage to find an Aaron to share their stories with. 
whether that be one of the pastoral ministry team, whether that be someone in their life who is a godly influence and a mentor and can lead, can hear their story and will be able to give them wisdom and encouragement. Lord God, give them the boldness to share what you've placed in them, no matter how outlandish it may seem, no matter how amazing or ridiculous. And Father, I also want to pray for the errands among us, for those who know what we are called to do, for those who are walking in the, the purposes and the plans of God. Lord, lead us, number one, into greater measures, into greater depths of revelation and greater levels of fruitfulness for your kingdom's sake. But also, Lord, give us a heart for the Moseses among us. Give us a heart, Lord God, I pray for those who carry callings and destinies beyond even our wildest imaginations, who simply need some encouragement from us, who need a bit of wisdom, who need a hand around the shoulder, who need who, who, who just need somebody to walk with them and take their first few steps. God, give us the willingness and the grace to do that. And so tonight, Lord God, as we've been talking about unlocking of destinies, as we've been talking about the power of your word at work in us. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you breathe over this message? Would you breathe, Father God, over our hearts? Would you cause the embers of the prophecies and the words that you've spoken over us to burst into flame once again and give us the boldness to say, as Mary said, Lord, be it to me according to your word. I yield my heart to you. I yield my life to you. Have your way in me. I trust you. And I thank you for this transition tonight in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.